This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This is the Get Booked Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 62, and we are recording on January 3rd, 2017. Whoa! <laughs> I'm Amanda Nelson, and I'm here with Jen Northington, and we are coming to you from bookriot.com. Welcome to the new year. I was going to say, the future is now. <laughs> <laughs> so we can all officially kick the garbage fire that was 2016 to the curb and uh, move on. <laughs> Indeed. Hopefully somehow. Indeed. Um, we are not, however, moving on from reading recommendations. I'm sorry. I, I'm so sorry about that awful segue. There was there was just nothing to be done about it. Like, I couldn't... I saw it coming. I couldn't swerve. I just had to. Um, anyway. So, if you are new to the show, uh, this is a reading recommendation show. You can send in your reading recommendation requests to us, and we will answer them on the show. Um, you can email them to us at getbooktipbookwriter.com, or you can drop them in the form, which is at the bottom of uh, the show notes for every episode on the site. Uh, if your question is one that's been answered on the show already, we will probably respond to you via email instead of making you wait until we get around to it again um, on the show. Uh, and I think that's all the housekeeping business, really. Yeah, I, okay. Every now and then, if it's like a super urgent, time-sensitive question, and I know we're not going to get to it in the next like week or so, I'll email back to, but you know. Yeah. Yeah, and it's Jen usually um, it's me. Do, doing all the emailing. So if you get an email from Get Booked, it's Jen. Say hi. I sign. I sign my name. I don't pretend to be you too often, Amanda. Every now and then, but... <laughs> Only know. when I rob banks. Yeah. Okay, so we are going to ask our first question, and then we'll do our first sponsor and get rolling. So that is all, Jen. All right. Our first question is from Morgan Parker. Bear with me while I summarize, because it's long. Uh, it's a two-parter. Uh, Morgan says, I'm currently in my first semester at the University of Iowa and beginning to settle in, but can't seem to find any books that fit where I'm at in life. Looking for books that are about the first year of college and the transition from high school to college. Uh, where the main character is honest about the emotional stress that college creates, especially in the first year. Uh, already read Fangirl by Rainbow Rowell. Uh, the second part of the question is, I'm looking for books to read with my boyfriend. We're in a long-distance relationship, and while talking and movies over Skype are fun, we'd like to do something more productive once in a while. Uh, we have somewhat different reading taste. I like more contemporary stories dealing with interpersonal relationships. He prefers classics and long texts, his favorite book being The Count of Monte Cristo. Uh, one middle ground we both enjoy is we like books with funny main characters. Something shorter and more contemporary would be preferred since we're both busy college students. Okay, but before we get into our recommendations for Morgan, which we have, um, we are going to do our first sponsor, which is Under Rose-Tainted Skies by Louise Gornell, which is out right now, uh, today, actually, January 3rd, is pub date. Happy pub date. Uh, <laughs> it is about two teenagers, uh, Nora and Luke. Nora has agoraphobia and OCD, so when, for example, groceries are left on the porch, she can't go out onto her porch to get them. So one day she's struggling to snag those grocery bags with a stick and meets Luke. He's sweet and funny, and he just caught her fishing for groceries because, of course, he did. Uh, <laughs> what a meet-cute, right? That's a really <laughs> solid meet-cute um, slash embarrassing, which I think most meet-cutes actually are in real life. Yeah. Uh, so as their friendship grows... Uh, 
Nora feels like Luke deserves normal, and that's not her. Uh, so why does she find herself, you know, wanting to hold his hand and also wondering when he last washed them? Um, mm. So this is a really sweet uh, YA story about um, falling in love when you have a lot of personal issues and how that can change or not change uh, how you live your life. Um, and I did a little poking around uh, looking into this book, and it looks like uh, the author, Louise Gordnell, is also has some personal experience with the issues that Nora is dealing with. So if you're looking for own voices stories about mental health that are also a romance, uh, this book is definitely for you. Or, you know, you just love YA romances, which I do. So that is Under Rose Tainted Skies by Louise Grinnell. Thanks so much for sponsoring the show. All right. You go first. Okay. Um, so for the first part of your question, which was about college students, um, my pick is not about a freshman. I think she's actually a senior when the book starts, but I think it kind of gets that like stress that college can create. It's The Marriage Plot by Jeffrey Eugenides. Um, so the main character in this, uh, her name is, ooh, her name is, I don't remember. Oh, Madeline. Yeah, her name is Madeline. She's an English major, and she is writing her senior thesis about the marriage plot, which is like Jane Austen novels, George Eliot, you know, books from most of the Victorian era of, of like classic English literature, where the central plot line is about like people getting married and, and doing that whole thing. Um, the book takes place in the 80s, so a lot, there's a lot of information about her classes and like her English lit classes, which I really enjoyed because in the 80s, uh, English criticism was a lot about like Derrida and you know, stuff like that. Um, so it's a bit of a throwback. But as she is like writing this thesis about the kind of um, the bits and pieces of human nature that make us want to settle down, that make us want to have families, that make us want to write about settling down and having families, uh, she gets involved in kind of a strange romantic triangle with two two other students uh leonard who is like a kind of he's a loner but he's very charismatic and it, it turns out that he i think in the book has um bipolar disorder he's a lot of mood swings um she gets involved in this like really really manic kind of high speed relationship with him and at the same time she's got her best friend mitchell who is becoming a little strange he's been reading like a lot of weird christian mysticism lately um he has decided that madeline is destined to be his soulmate and so you kind of follow these three very quirky and odd people um through the last year of college for Madeline, and then on into adulthood, where uh, Leonard and Madeline go on to a biology laboratory on Cape Cod to work. Um, Mitchell goes off and like travels the world to try and shake his adoration of Madeline and figure out you know the nature of God, the universe, and everything. So there's a lot going on here, and it is a big chunky book. Um, but like the stress of being in college is a constant presence in the book. And then also the stress of graduating and being a grown-up and, like, finding a job and figuring out what it is you want to do, which you are expected to have known since you were 18, but maybe still haven't figured out and that kind of stuff. So that's The Marriage Plot by Jeffrey Eugenides. All right. My first pick for you is Roomies by Sarah Zar and Tara Altabrando, who I love individually. So, like, you know, them writing a book together is really delightful and wonderful. Um, and so what it's about is two girls, uh, Elizabeth and Lauren, who are finishing high school and they get their freshman year roommate assignment and so they start emailing with each other and like Elizabeth is from the East Coast and Lawrence from San Francisco and they each start to realize that they are super different and so there's some of that trepidation like oh my god how am I going to share a room with this person who is nothing like me? Uh, and then, like, college becomes ever closer, and then also life at home um, as they are finishing high school and, like, 
prepping for college becomes increasingly more complex. And so their relationship starts to become more and more important to them, even though they've never met yet. So it's not exactly first year of college, but it's a lot about like the anxiety and stress that, you know, getting ready to go to college will produce, which I think is adjacent to what you're asking for. Um, and also, like I said, I love these two authors. So this is just a really fun read. Um, Got a touch of romance in it as well, uh, which is always nice. So that is Roomies by Sarah Zar and Tara Altabrando. Okay, so for the second one, a kind of techie, funny book to read with your boyfriend, I picked, this is going to sound a little bit out of left field, but I'm, I'm like totally here for it. It's Jurassic Park. I think this is the best, by the way. Yay, I was, I was okay, looking good. at I was the like, agenda I, and I was like, oh my God, she's a genius. <laughs> so it's by Michael Crichton. And this is... That, okay, <laughs> so I picked this. This was the first book that I read that was like adult literature that was like grown up. Um, and I, so I had there's like a special place in my heart for Jurassic Park, the book, also the movie, which I feel like is objectively a perfect film. But anyway, agree. Everyone agree. in Jurassic Park is hilarious. Like Ian Malcolm. I, I, like okay, so if you've seen the movie, it's the movie basically, but on steroids. Like there's a lot more science, like gritty science stuff. Um, there's a lot more weird, like chaos theory stuff from the Ian Malcolm character. There are different subplots with the various species of dinosaurs, but it is very, very techie. Um, it's obviously more contemporary than, uh, the Count of Monte Cristo. Uh, but it's so funny. Like Ian Malcolm is so funny. The kids in the, in the book, um, are hilarious, and despite the fact that, like, you're running around and everybody's dying, uh, it's still, like, you will laugh out loud reading Jurassic Park. You don't remember this part of that reading experience, but it is totally there. And also, I think it's a great thing to read out loud with somebody because it's so fast-paced. When people read to me, I tend to, like, zone out a little bit. Um, I do this with audiobooks, too, especially if it's fiction. Um, but this is, like, such a, it's a thriller, so it's, like, it's fast-paced, there's constant plot movement, everything in it is interesting, um, so, like, your attention doesn't wander, uh, it's not romantic. If you were looking for, like, a romantic thing to read with your boyfriend, this is probably not gonna be it, because most of the characters get eaten by velociraptors, but it's still really great, <laughs> and I think it would be a good pick. So, that's Jurassic Park by Michael Crichton. <laughs> Uh, excellent. Um, I also picked a book that has been turned into a really good movie. I picked The Princess Bride by William Goldman. Uh, a lot of people have not read this book. Like, I, I think a lot of people have seen the movie, but haven't read the book. And the book is amazing because it is not anything like the movie, first of all. And second of all, it's a very, like, meta book. Um, there's all of these asides from the author who claims to be rewriting an older classic book that doesn't actually exist, but, like, you're so convinced that it exists. And I thought that, like, when I imagine reading this out loud, I imagine having a contest to see who can sound the most pompous when reading, like, the weird asides from, like, the H.R. <laughs> Morgan Stern stuff. So, like, I don't know if that's what you're interested in, but it has an old-timey feel because it is, like, supposed to be a rewritten classic with all of these, like intense, like, historical asides, which Count of Monte Cristo has, because it's also my favorite book, um, P.S. And, uh, but it's funny, and it's fun, and it's, like, a, it's a plot you already know, so maybe that's less hard to, like, pay attention to, and it's less pressure, it's not, like, you know, heavy. Uh, so I don't know. I feel like that would be an excellent read aloud. So that's The Princess Bride by William Goldman. I just really want, like, pompous H.R. Morgans during competitions now to be a thing. Ah! Uh, why, yes. Could that they, be a Maybe, thing? like, a at the next shipwreck, they yes, can have a sub contest. Good call. Good call. 
Uh, okay, so question two. This is from Caitlin. She says, I'm currently obsessed with books that help empower me as a woman in my career. Being a 20-something at the brink of graduating with a master's in information science, I can't get enough of books about women who have excelled in their jobs and their advice observations as they got there. I'm currently devouring Lean In and Enjoyed Girl Boss, along with books by comedians like Tina Fey and Amy Poehler. I also greatly enjoyed Roxane Gay's Bad Feminist. I almost exclusively listened to these on audio, and I'm looking for great audio suggestions that may be more under the radar than these titles. Okay, I'll just keep going. Um, so my first pick is Grit by Angela Duckworth. Um, the subtitle is Passion, Perseverance, and the Science of Success. So Angela Duckworth has kind of an interesting background. Her parents were scientists um, and super smart, and she felt kind of dumb in comparison because her parents were kind of geniuses, and she was just kind of this mediocre, well, not mediocre, but like not an Einstein in her family. Um, and so she had kind of a winding career path. She was a teacher. She did some business consulting, landed in neuroscience, and did a lot of research about the nature of success and personality stuff that um, contributes to or prevents people from becoming successful. And the basic point of the book is that talent is not necessarily as important as what she calls grit, which is like a combination of um, practice and long-term perseverance. So it's, it's essentially a book about not quitting. Like if you want to boil it down to its very most basic part. Um, but she does, she has a lot of really interesting anecdotes here and she does a lot of studying and research with people who are like suffering through the most difficult, um, rigorous career challenges in life, like cadets who are trying to get through West Point, that kind of thing. Um, and CEOs, uh, like the, she talks to the CEO of JP Morgan, which is obviously a very high pressure um, career uh, choice. And she does talk a lot about her own life and how, and her weird, and kind of, well not weird, but like her sort of bouncing back and forth winding um, path to eventually end up in neuroscience. And she, right now she has a PhD. She works at the University of uh, Pennsylvania and all that. So it's not just about like one woman being really great at her job, but it is about that. Uh, but it's also about what makes anybody good at their job and how it doesn't necessarily have to be because like you were born uh, a really great people person or you were born with great organizational skills. And it's more about like buckling down and doing the thing and then continuing to do it when no one is watching. So that's Grit by Angela Duckworth. Sorry, I'm, like, changing my mind and then changing it back. Okay, uh, like, my picks are not particularly under the radar, but you didn't mention them, so I'm going to mention them to you. Um, the first one is My Life on the Road by Gloria Steinem, because obviously Gloria Steinem is super fascinating. Um, and this audiobook has been one of the top picks for in the Book Riot contributor core, like, over the past year, so I can vouch that it is good. Um, and yeah, I mean, she's talking about her own personal growth alongside the growth of the movement that she is obviously very identified with. Uh, and so, I, I mean, it's it's, like, a lot about personal struggles as well as political struggles, which I feel like is something that is appropriate for the year that we're in, uh, slash the year that has been. Um, so, and she's The year just, that will not be named. Yeah, the year <laughs> that, right, seriously. Um, so, uh, so yeah, so, you know, she's talking really candidly about, like, how she got where she is now, which, as you can imagine, was not an easy thing. Uh, so I feel like that should be on your list. Uh, so that is My Life on the Road by Gloria Steinem. Okay, my second is very much not under the radar because it's a classic <laughs> and was maybe the first book in this genre. So it's A Room of One's Own by Virginia Woolf. Um, this is a, it's, it's actually like a, an extended essay, so I don't even know if you consider it a book, um, that she wrote in the uh, late 1920s. It's a speech that she gave to uh, women's colleges at Cambridge, 
excuse me, in uh, Cambridge University. So they asked her to come and do a series of lectures about women in fiction. And what she actually ended up writing was like this treatise about um, women in creative life in general and creative life in general and how to successfully be a woman doing work uh, in, a, in a patriarchy, basically. So it's it's obviously very dated. It was written like during the Edwardian period. So you're going to go back and read it. She's not going to talk. There's like no intersectionality, which fine. Um, but her basic thesis here is that women need both independent income and a literal and figurative space that is just theirs in order to escape the pressures that we have on ourselves from other parts of our lives and do work well. Um, So, of course, from her perspective, writing in the 1920s, she was talking about, like, a room with a lock where you can get away from your 10 kids and, uh, you know, your husband and the people who want you to, like, knit them something um, and sit down and write or, you know, insert whatever activity or job or hobby or whatever it is that you're trying to be really successful at. Um, So it's a, a, I mean, it was just a seminal and kind of revolutionary thought that not that not only do women deserve to be present in this in the workplace or the creative space in the first place, but we're also entitled to having everybody leave us alone for a while so that we can do those things. And the idea that a woman's mind and time is her own and can be used in any way she sees fit and that she's not just there to serve children and serve men um, is still, I think, uh, an important thing that needs to be said, um, especially, you know, I mean, lean in is so much about like, can you have it all? And how do you balance work and home life? And how do you expect to be a successful career woman and also raise successful, like successfully raise your children? And those, like those questions are still around and probably won't go away anytime soon. So I think it's useful to go back and read what was essentially like the first thing written about the topic. So that's A Room of One's Own by Virginia Woolf. My second pick is Hunger Makes Me a Modern Girl by Carrie Brownstein, which bonus is narrated by her. The audiobook is narrated by her. Um, And I think Carrie Brownstein is super fascinating. Uh, I have mixed feelings about Portlandia itself, but, like, she is objectively very interesting because she was part of the early feminist, like, punk movement. Like, Riot Girl, like, Slater Kinney is, like so essential to that early movement. Mm. Um, And now, like, she is a TV personality and super successful. And, I mean, she's, you know, the in, like, in 2006, she was the only woman to earn a spot in, like, a Rolling Stones list of, like, 25 most underrated guitarists of all time. Like, she's just, she's just a person who has been a part of some really interesting cultural moments. Uh, And so her story about how all of that happened, uh, I think is super interesting. Um, And so, and like, she's also, obviously, she's an actress now, so she is like very good at narrating. So it's an enjoyable audiobook to listen to. So I feel like this is definitely one, if you're at all interested in music in particular, um, that you should be adding to your list. So that's Hunger Makes Me a Modern Girl by Carrie Brownstein. Oh, and the next question is me. Uh, The next question is from Chelsea. I'm part of a cultural book club. We live outside Chicago, so we decided to read books, fiction and nonfiction, that take place outside of the U.S., preferably by foreign authors. We're having a hard time finding quote-unquote light books to read between dense and hard-hitting nonfiction. One of the lighter books we've read was Funny and Farsi. It was a big hit. We need your help finding international fiction slash nonfiction that doesn't make us super depressed. We'd like to laugh once in a while. Excellent question. Excellent question question. Um, I'm just going to keep going. My first pick for you is basically anything by Mohsen Hamid, um, but particularly How to Get Filthy Rich in Rising Asia. It's not a particularly like hilarious laugh out loud book like Funny and Farsi, but it is sort of how ha- it has like this kind of dreamy 
uh, quality to it, and it's very tongue-in-cheek. Like, the concept of the book is that it's a quote-unquote, like, business guide, like, how to get rich. Um, but it's actually just the story of a man who does manage to get rich uh, in his, like, going from the village to the cities uh, in Rising Asia. And um, But he's there's this girl, of course. There's always a girl. Uh, <laughs> and so it's about, like, their romance or not romance, as the case may be, and as the timing allows, um, about how he became the person who he is. And it's just a really amazing, immersive reading experience. I thought it was incredible. Uh, but he's written a bunch of other books, um, and any of them, really. His new book uh, that's coming out in, I want to say March, Exit West, is amazing. It's um, so good. Oh my god, did you read it? I'm like obsessed. Yeah, I read it in like a, in a sitting. Oh yeah, like, oh. it's so fast. Oh my gosh. Anyway, okay. So that is anything by Mohsen Hamid, but particularly How to Get Filthy Rich in Rising Asia, I think would be a good interlude for y'all. All right. My first one is super weird, so just to warn you. It's fun, <laughs> but it's weird. So it's the Rabbit Back Literature Society, and I'm, I always – this name is so hard for me. Uh, the author's name is Pasi Ilmari Jaskalainen, I think, uh, and the translator is Lola Rogers. It takes It's Finnish, so it takes place in Finland, and it's like a fiction-based – magical realist literary mystery <laughs> so it takes place in Rabatback, which is a small town in finland where a super wealthy and internationally famous children's author named laura white lives so she just like makes her home there um she has started something she calls the society which is a group of writers in this in this small town who you know it's basically just a writing group like they get together they share their work with each other um they critique each other, that sort of thing. And they, they have been in this group forever, uh, like since they were children, and Laura kind of picked them. And there are nine members, and now a tenth member has been selected. Her name is Ella. She's a, a new local English teacher, um, and she goes to her to this winter party that the famous author Laura is hosting. Um, and then in the, in the middle of the party, Laura the famous author who founded the society, like disappears in a whirlwind of snow in the middle of the staircase and then is just nowhere to be found for that, for like time ever after um, in a very Narnia sort of situation. And then at the same time, um, there's a book virus going around the library where like the words are scrambling and the plots of the books are changing. And also, at the same time, Ella is getting more and more involved in this literary society and realizes that, like, nothing there is as it seems. They have this weird ritual they call the game that they use to, like, come up with their book plots. It's all super strange. So there's, like, a lot going on. Um, you're following a lot of, plot of like, plot threads that are all individual mysteries. Like, what happened to Laura? How did she disappear in a blizzard? Why was there a blizzard inside her house? Also, sub-question, what's up with the book virus? Why are all these people playing this weird game? Am I going to die? Like, there's just all of these questions that need to be answered um and but it's like fun um it's not when i first read it i went in, when i went into it i thought it was going to be kind of like mr penumbra's 24 hour bookstore like kind of quirky weird fun mystery based on books and it is that but it's also a little like a tick darker um so like i guess think about like mysteries written in america versus mysteries that come from northern europe that are often just a little bit you know, less sunny. Maybe because literally there's less sunshine. I don't know. I just made that up. So it's weird. It's fun. <laughs> there's a lot going on. There'll be tons for you to talk about. Um, and it takes place in Finland. Bonus. So that's the Rabbitback Literature Society. And I'm not going to try to pronounce this name again. I'm sorry. <laughs> I always just feel so bad. <laughs> yeah. Um, those Scandinavian names are rough. Okay. Uh, so many I, old lots. <laughs> yes. For us. Um, so my second pick for you is Born a Crime by Trevor Noah. I feel like this is the day of me being like, I have 
have mixed feelings about, but I do have <laughs> mixed feelings about Trevor Noah's comedy. Yeah. However, this is, like, however you feel about that in particular, this is a fascinating book. So he was born in South Africa, and he is mixed race. He was born to a white Swiss father and a black African mother. Um, and at that time, they could have gone to prison. Uh, and so he was, like, kept mostly indoors in his early life, and his mother, like, did all of these things to hide him. Um, and then when uh, apartheid ends, he, like, now they can live openly. And, like, what is that like? So, it, and and he is funny. So the book has, like, these light notes in it, even though it's about a very serious topic. Um, but I think it's a story, I mean, most of us, well, most of us, I was alive during apartheid, um, but I don't yeah. remember it because I was so young, right? And, like, this is a period of time that a lot of us don't think about because it's over and it's distant from us. Um, but I think, so I think books like this are really important to remind us that, like, you know, this happened during, if, if you're my age, this happened during our lifetime. It's not maybe not a thing that we think much about. Um, and here's, like, a personal story that can really illuminate what that was like for a lot of people. So it is, uh, I feel like this would be a good one for you guys. There's a lot to talk about. And then you can, like, talk about The Daily Show, and, you know, that's also a thing I'm sure you could get a bunch of book club time out of. So <laughs> that is Born a Crime by Trevor Noah. Okay, my second one is Girls of Riyadh by Raja Alsani, and this is a, oh man, it's like Gossip Girl, but in Saudi Arabia, is like yes, the, the best way pitch, I can think of to describe pitch. it. <laughs> um, so it's told as a series of emails from an anonymous uh, blogger in Saudi Arabia, and it's supposed to be about her friends. So she's telling the story of her friends. Um, it's a group of five, I think. I don't, I don't remember the exact number. Um, girls who are like college age or a little bit older than college age, um, who are all very wealthy, like they're very upper class uh, in Saudi Arabian society. And she tells their individual stories. And they're, um, yeah, like rich people, Saudi Arabian problems, which involve things like, you know, arranged marriages and spousal abuse um, and trying to get an education and like what it's like to go to college um, as a woman in Saudi Arabia. Um, romance in general, like clothes. It's just really like catty and gossipy, but also has a, it's like a serious undertone to it. Lots of things to talk about and think about. Um, it's a very controversial book. It was, I think, banned in Saudi Arabia when it first came out. I don't know if it still is, but it was when it first came out. Um, and a lot of people have just you know, a lot of opinions about it because it's very, um, very much like a, a look behind a curtain that uh, I, I think some people maybe don't appreciate that curtain being pulled back a little bit, but like a, a really intimate look at the love life and social life of upper class um, girls in Saudi Arabia. So, but it's, yeah, it's just kind of like fun, like lots of talk about lip gloss and sunglasses. And I love both lip gloss and sunglasses. So I enjoyed, <laughs> I enjoyed it a lot. I did. So yeah. So it's Girls of Riyadh by Raja Alsanai. It's you. Lip gloss and sunglasses. Oh, it's me. Okay. I was thinking about where my sunglasses are. Okay, so... <laughs> Not like you four. need them right now. <laughs> I super don't. It's gross outside. Um, question four is from Lee, who says, um, I love urban fantasy, such as Jim Butcher, Simon Green, Kim Harrison, John Connolly, and Daniel Jose Older. Can you recommend other authors I might have missed? Okay, well, that's easy enough. I'll just keep going. Um, so my first one is Nalini Singh, specifically um, her Guild Hunter series, the first book... First book in it is called Angel's Blood, um, and this is 
paranormal urban fantasy romance. And my second pick is not romance because I didn't know if, if like which you would prefer. But um, so in the first book, uh, Angel's Blood, uh, it's about a vampire hunter named Elena Devereaux, who is very, very good at her job. And in this universe, um, the big cities of the planet are kind of overseen or run or governed by archangels. So she lives in, I think, I think it's New York, and the archangel Raphael is in charge. Um, and in this world, archangels are like very dangerous. Humans try to avoid interacting with them at all costs because they're um, lethal, basically. Uh, they don't have emotions, so they don't really respond well to human frailty or human, you know, um, flailing with their emotions at them. Uh, and so there are both angels and vampires in this situation. And, and Raphael hires Elena to hunt down an archangel who has gone bad and who was, like, slaughtering people in the streets, basically, which is a big no-no. So she develops, like, a romantic interest in Raphael, which is not great because he's, first of all, not human, and second of all, could, like, kill her if she blinks at him wrong. Um, And then there's, like, a mystery of what happened to this other archangel and also a mystery of the the, um, connection between vampires and archangels and, like, what one has to do with the other and how they're... uh, They have, like, this weird symbiotic relationship she has to figure out... um, so it's a really intricately and, and, and oddly built universe where uh, the vampire mythology and angel mythology are not not like anything that you've read, I think. Um, it's all very like interesting and new and creative. And Nalini Singh is just great. Her brain is very strange in a, in a way that I really enjoy. So that's uh, Nalini Singh is the author since you were just asking for authors, but the series is called Guild Hunter. The first book is Angel's Blood. Are we secretly the same person, Lee? Like, I feel like maybe we might be. Um, Peek in your bookshelves. What you really need to do is just go visit Jen. I mean, like, would you like half of my bookcase? Because, okay. So, uh, I have recommended Ilona Andrews's Kate Daniels series so many times. I'm just going to say that if you haven't read them already, definitely pick up uh, Magic Strikes is the first one. But uh, that's not, okay, but I've recommended it too many times. So, I'm recommending other things. Um, Happily recommended recommending other things. My first author pick for you is Victor Lavelle. If you, especially since you enjoy Daniel Jose Older, who I feel like does the same thing, um, Victor Lavelle is super good at writing urban fantasy that is a side of, you know, New York City that you have not already seen. I mean, so many urby, urban fantasy series take place in New York. Like, it's super normal. Um, but a lot of them are, like, very Manhattan-y and, like, you know, like... People with money and nice apartments mm-hmm. and whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, there, there's so much more to New York than that one view of, like, Manhattan. Um, and Victor Laval writes about Queens, generally speaking. So, for example, The Devil in Silver takes place in a mental asylum in Queens. Um, his newest book, The Ballad of Black Tom, is also in Queens. I'm pretty sure almost all of them, if not all of them, are... Oh, no, wait. This one is... Well, it's it's Brooklyn. Okay, Ballad of Black Tom is Brooklyn-y. Um, but includes, like, some of Manhattan and some of... Uh, anyway, some of Queens also. So, okay, but he's, like, going into the corners of the city that you would never normally visit in a novel like this. Um, and I just feel like any of them... Like, I really don't know where to tell you to start, except for that if you want to start with the most recent, maybe, uh, that's a good place. That's the Ballad of Black Tom, um, which is sort of a love letter slash reclaiming of H.P. Lovecraft's 
aesthetic, because uh, as we know, H.P. Lovecraft was particularly racist. So, like, what does it mean to be an author of color and, like, you know, writing an homage to um, this person? Uh, who? So, so yes. Yeah, so, Ballad of Black Tom is amazing, but I also love The Devil in Silver. I mean, you really can't go wrong. So, what I would say to you is read through the descriptions of the books and, like, pick one and start, you know, diving <laughs> in because he is just so good. He's so good at funny, quirky characters. He's really good at like dark, horror-y things. He's really good at like finding those little nooks and crannies of the world we live in and making them seem magical. He's just amazing. Uh, so that is Victor Laval. Really anything. Okay. Um, my second one is Signal to Noise by Silvia Moreno-Garcia, um, which takes place in Mexico City, which is not a, a setting that I've read a lot of urban fantasy um, out of. Uh, and it takes place both in the 80s and present day. I picked this one because it's kind of Daniel Holsey older-ish in, in that like it's a little bit about a teenager doing some magic stuff in like the, in the city, basically. Um, so the main character, his name is Meche, which is short for Mercedes. She's 15. She's growing up in Mexico City in the 80s. She's got her two best friends, or Sebastian and Daniela, and they're kind of dorks. Like they're um, they're not they're outcasts. They're not popular kids. Um, they're bullied and picked on with some frequency. And then Meche discovers um, that she has a magical ability to cast spells using music. So with specific songs, by directing her feelings. Uh, into the song and then using the song in, in a kind of weird way, she can make things happen. And she discovers this um, when she's tormented by a bully and she uses a, a song from the doors <laughs> to, like, make him fall down and break his arm. Um, so she tells her friends uh, about her powers and they start using her magic to try and, like, fix their broken family situations or change their social status, um, create romance for themselves, that sort of thing. Um, so then you jump forward to 2009, and Meche is an adult. Obviously, she's coming home after having left the city 20 years ago. Um, her father has died, and so she's coming back for his funeral. And then she um, is reuniting, not on purpose, but just because she runs into them, with her two friends from that time period. And you find out slowly um, that something weird or terrible or bad happened with her mu- with her her magic um you find out whether or not she's still using it how she feels about it she she has to rethink her relationship with her past with her two best friends with her family the whole thing um it actually opens in 2009 and then you flash back to some of those uh, episodes in the 80s so it's quirky and weird and like magic with the doors in mexico city is a thing i've certainly never read before and also bonus is from a small press which i'm trying to read more of so if any of you out there have that sort of uh, kind of new year's reading resolution to read more books from smaller independent presses this is a really great start so that's Sing- signal to noise by sylvia moreno garcia my second pick for you is Russian urban fantasy, <laughs> because, <laughs> yes, um, <laughs> Russian sci-fi and fantasy is just so bananas and bonkers. <laughs> like, really, wow. Um, and I love it. I am a huge fan. Uh, and this series, the way I found it was there was a movie on Netflix of the first book, and I didn't realize it was books, and I got so excited. So it's The Night Watch by Sergei Lukyanenko. Um, it's the first book, and I think there's five in the series now, uh, of the Watch series, and they are available um, in the U.S. There's, like, a really nice edition from publisher whose name I can't remember. And, um, Anyway, they're really weird. Um, They take place in Moscow, uh, where there is this sort of eternal war between the others, who are humans with supernatural powers, um, and they have to pick, you know, allegiance to the dark or to the light. Uh, Pretty standard setup. Where this is weird is that, like, the magic is not 
per it's nothing like Western magic. Like there's vampires and sorcerers, but like everything about it is just like so beautifully different from what you're used to with American urban fantasy specifically. Like it's just not the same, which is a breath of fresh air when you've especially if you've gotten like really far down the American urban fantasy rabbit hole. Um, and so there's, uh, there's like agents in the, you know, the, or the watches quote unquote, which is what they're called. Um, and the night watch is staffed by people who are, uh, pledged to like the light slash good. Um, and he, this guy named Anton stumbles across a young woman who's cursed. Um, and everybody is trying to get to her and like bring her to their side because she's just got like, this curse is so powerful and she's got so much power around her and it could change the balance of the war. Um, and it is just fantastic. I like, can't say enough about how weird and awesome this series is. Um, and it just keeps going. Like there's, yeah, the five books are, you're you're just like, how can it get any weirder? And then it does. Um, so that is The Night Watch by Sergei, Sergei Lukinenko. I think the translator for the edition I read was Andrew Bromfield. Okay, before we go into our next question, we have our next sponsor, which I'm so excited about, guys. Uh, so it's X-Files Origins, which is not a series, I wouldn't say, but it's two books being published simultaneously um, that are about... Fox Mulder and Dana Scully as teenagers. What? what? <laughs> <laughs> like, I really like Fox Mulder fine, but like Dana Scully teenager story. Yes. I know. I know. I'm so excited about it. Okay. So um, you're finding out their backstories basically as teenagers. What made Dana Scully kind of the skeptical science driven sort of mind that she is? How did Fox Mulder become a believer in the things that he does, which you kind of know from reading the show, but you get more of it um, from his teenage perspective. Um, so these are kind of like dark thrillers. Uh, the Jonathan Mayberry is doing the book for Dana Scully. He wrote The Devil's Advocate. Um, hold on. And it's called... No, it's just called Devil's Advocate. Sorry. So that's X-Files Origins Devil's Advocate. That's the one about um, Dana Scully. And then Agents of Chaos is the one about Fox Mulder. And it's that one is written by Cami Garcia. So whether or not you like The X-Files, it will also appeal to YA fans, fans of thrillers in general. Um, and these are out from Fierce Reads. So if you, I mean... I don't need to, like, pitch this to people who like the X-Files at all. Uh, whether or not you read YA, if you're an X-Files person, these are definitely books that you should go get your hands on. So they, um, the one about Fox Mulder is called Agents of Chaos. The one about Dana is called Devil's Advocate. They're by Kimmy Garcia and Jonathan Mabry simultaneously, or not simultaneously, um, respectively. And they're coming, they're coming out together, so you can get them both at the same time. Um, so the series, again, is called X-Files Origins. And thank you for sponsoring the show. I can't wait to get my hands on this. I know. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited. <laughs> same. Deeply same. Um, okay. Question five is from Anonymous. I just finished listening to the audiobook of Bleak House by Charles Dickens, and I want a new audiobook to listen to, but I'm feeling a bit burnt out by the hours and hours and hours and hours of Bleak House <laughs> that I just got through. Yes. Can you recommend some short books for me to listen to? I like both fiction and nonfiction, especially history and Malcolm Gladwell-esque books, but I have a hard time listening to scary slash tense slash horror stories. Okay, yes indeed. Um, I am going to leave two links for you in the show notes. Uh, Rincey, our intrepid Rincey, has made two videos on YouTube about good short books um, that probably have audiobook versions, so like, check the show notes. There's going to be links to our YouTube channel there. Um, and then I double-checked with, because audiobooks are not my area of expertise, I double-checked with Rachel Smalterhall, who writes the audiobooks newsletter, um, and she gave me two books that are seven hours or less, which she says count 
out says short in <laughs> in mm-hmm. audiobook land. So, um, and they're really good picks. So the first one is Modern Romance by Aziz Ansari, which you mentioned Malcolm Gladwell and nonfiction, and I think you will dig this. Um, it is an like exploration of, as it says, modern romance. So like dating and like going in and out of relationships and how do you find a date and like all of these things, but it's so different now than it used to be because of technology. Um, and like you would think it's so easy to like find people to date now. Why are we not? like having better dates, which is a question of deep interest to me <laughs> as a single woman. Um, and so, and Aziz Ansari obviously is a very funny um, and also very smart uh, comedian. Um, and so he is looking at like all of this stuff for, he teamed up with an NYU sociologist um, and did a, like, they did this whole research project with interviews and focus groups and they analyze behavioral data and do surveys and conduct research on Reddit and like all of these things. So there's a lot of data as well as a lot of, like, pithy observations about pop culture and dating. Uh, So I think that would be super enjoyable. Um, And that is Modern Romance by Aziz Ansari and Eric Kleinenberg. So if you heard me clickety-clackety-clickety-clackety-ing on my, that's a word, on my computer a second ago, I was on Audible looking up how long the Bleak House unabridged audiobook is out of curiosity. How long? long? It is 33 hours. Holy crap. (laughs) I have never. (laughs) Wow. That is, it's like... That's a lot. That's a lot. Go with God. Like, that is so impressive that somebody got through that. That's amazing to me. Okay, so... Wow. My first uh, my first recommendation... Bleh. Oh my gosh, I have a hair in my mouth. I'm so sorry. Bleh. Okay, my first recommendation is Shrill by Lindy West, which is only six hours long, which only. will feel like a commercial <laughs> break for you. Um, Lindy West is hilarious. She's a feminist writer. She writes for Jezebel. She's great on Twitter. She does a lot of uh, like fat-positive activism in the online world and is uh, probably best known for her uh, work uh, or not, not even necessarily work against trolls, but like she was one of the biggest names and one of the biggest women in feminism to have to deal with or to start dealing with Twitter trolls and how that affected her life uh, in general. And so she has spent a lot of time talking about that. Um, so Shrill, uh, it, the subtitle is Notes from a Loud Woman, and it's about being uh, a woman with lots of loud opinions in, a, you know, in, in this culture where we expect women to be very small and quiet and to basically do as told. Lindy West is none of those things. She's fat. She's loud. She has a lot of opinions. She doesn't like... Um, she got into this big public war with like the stand-up comedy world about whether or not rape jokes are funny um, that you might have heard about. And so she's, it's part, part memoir talking about growing up like that, being the kind of woman that she is in a culture where like everything that she is, is looked down on or made fun of. And then also how she got into kind of accidentally tripped and fell into this job as a writer of, uh, writer on feminist topics and like living a very public life on the internet. Um, so it's part memoir, part like feminist manifesto, a hundred parts funny. There's a lot of poop jokes. Um, so I listened to it on audio and she reads the audiobook and she's so funny. And the best part, I've talked about this before, but the best part about this audiobook is you can tell when she's cracking herself up, like when she's remembering a thing and it's funny to her. And so she's trying not to laugh because she's like doing a professional thing, but she's like failing miserably. And so you can't help but just like cackle along with her because it's like your friend telling you a poop joke. And like, how do you not laugh at that? I don't know. I failed. So there it is. Laughing like a weirdo in my car while people driving on the street. <laughs> 
So that's Shrill, Notes from a Loud Woman by Lindy West. Uh, my second pick for you is also a very funny memoir. It is The Clancy's of Queens by Tara Clancy. She Co-signed. is amazing. <laughs> We're all obsessed with her now because she came to Book Riot Live and just like took it by storm. Uh, Tara Clancy is a uh, storyteller. Like she's won the moth, I think maybe more than once, um, which you can see if you've ever heard her talk. Like she opens her mouth and immediately the whole room is just like hung upon her every word. Um, she grew up in Queens, uh, obviously the Clancy's of Queens, it's in there, um, very like working class, and she wrote this memoir because there really aren't any working class memoirs from women in Queens, like not since, you know, a tree grows in Brooklyn has there been like a working class story. Um, so she wrote it specifically because she kept joking about that and was like, well, maybe I should write that book. Um, and so it's about being, uh, raised like very working class, but then her dad starts, or her mom starts dating this guy who's like got a house in the Hamptons and is super rich. So she goes from like, you know, her tiny apartment in Queens to like, weekends in the Hamptons, and then, you know, like, all of this other, you know, stories and, like, being a third-generation bartender, and I don't even know. She is hilarious. Um, she is, she reads her own audiobook, which is, then really ups the ante on the amazingness of the experience of listening to her stories, and it really is, like, having, like, your funniest friend tell you these crazy stories, like crazy but true stories about their life, like over drinks. Like that is the experience that you will get um, from this memoir. So if that sounds appealing to you, which like, why would it not? uh, You should check out The Clancy's of Queens by Tara Clancy. My favorite part of that book is when she does impressions of her Italian grandmother. Oh, yes. <laughs> who, like, is very tough and curses in Italian with some regularity. And so <laughs> it's just so good. I co-sign that so hard. Yeah. Okay, so my second one is You All Know Me by Megan Abbott, which is nine hours, not quite as short as as shrill, but still not 33 hours, so there you go. Um, I picked this because it's a really fast-paced mystery, which uh, even if it is nine hours long, I feel like it feels like it goes by really fast when you're listening to it on audio because you just want to know what happens. Um, So this is about Katie and Eric. They're a couple, the Knoxes, that's their last name, Knox. And they have a 15-year-old daughter named Devin, who's a gymnastics prodigy. And at her gym, at her little gymnastics gym, everyone's hopes and dreams, like, rest on Devin. All the other girls uh, who she trains with, all of their parents, the coaches, the employees, everyone thinks she's going to the Olympics. And, like, as her star rises, she will raise the stars of everyone around her. And then um, there's a death, a really, like, violent death in their gymnastics community just before, like, a really important uh, meet or competition. And so... Um, the perspective, the book is told from the perspective of Devin's mom, Katie. And so she, Katie, is trying to um, hold her family together as, like, Devin experiences, you know, some pain and, like, um, reaction to this death of of a person she considered a friend, um, tries to deal with school, like, she's off her game a little bit, so she's trying to keep all of that together. And then, um, you know, Katie herself has some feelings about the death uh, and the person who has died. And so she, but then as the book goes along, she starts to realize that like, maybe it wasn't an accident the way this person died. And maybe some people she knows are involved and like Devin isn't getting over it. So what, how, how is she involved with this person? Like you just, you don't, um, every, nothing is as it seems and everyone has weird and questionable motives, um, for behaving how they do in the book. Um, so it's very like creepy and it's like atmospheric and slow moving and you're not as especially tied 
what's weird about this murder mystery is that you're not especially tied to the victim. I feel like in a lot of murder mysteries, you get involved, emotionally involved with the victim, and then when they die, you, like, really want to know who did this thing to them. But in this one, the victim is kind of, like, a side character, so it's not so much you really caring about who did it or, like, who killed this person, but more caring about how the death of someone in a, in a community like that affects everyone else. So it's, it's just, like, a really interesting and strange and different perspective, and I really enjoyed it. So that's You Will Know Me by Megan Abbott. It's you. Hello? Yes, okay. <laughs> <laughs> it is me. Um, okay, so this is from Marie. She says, I'm in... Ooh, I'm an adult stuck in the YA world. Well, I really enjoy it here. I keep running into the same stories and would love to delve into the world of adult literature. I love fantasy as well as general fiction. Can you give me some places or some starting places in the genre? Okay, you go. Okay. Uh, my first pick for you is the first in a two-book fantasy series, The Killing Moon by N.K. Jemisin, who I love, as you know. Um, this, <laughs> this series, uh, it's like weird to call it a series, this duology, which is a word I still can't like say without making it a weird word, but anyway, that's what it is. <laughs> duology. <A> duology. <laughs> it just feels weird to say, but I'm going to have to get used to it. Um, is It takes place in like a very sort of medieval fantasy setting, except that instead of it being like medieval England thinly disguised, it's actually like medieval Egypty, uh, which is delightful. Um, and it's a society where peace is like the law, like literally no one is allowed to be violent in this society. And it's enforced by these ninja priests who also have magic, dream magic, amazing. Um, and uh, so like everything seems like wonderful and blissful in this city where, you know, these priests carry out like all of the, you know, law enforcement in in with dream magic and everything's fine, except of course that's never the case. Um, and it starts to turn into this like really intense political slash fantasy thriller. Um, I loved this series. It's so good. Uh, and it is, it's like a lot of adult characters and, you know, things like dream magic and like, you know, medievally uh, re like second world stories are so common in fantasy, but N.K. Jemisin can't do anything the way that other people do it. She, like, does it all in her own unique and wonderful and amazing way. So I think, you know, once you start reading her, like, there's a lot more to get into. Um, and if you like fantasy, she's a great person to have on your reading list. So that is The Killing Moon, which is the first in the Dreamblood series uh, by N.K. Jemisin. Okay, so I picked two books that I think are crossover because they have teenage main characters but are super not YA. Like, they're, they're very adult. Um, so the first one is Pure by Juliana Baggett, which is the first in a series. Um, and this has a lot of the same sort of elements as a lot of dystopian YA novels. It's about a teenage girl who is living in a post-apocalyptic world and is struggling to survive, and maybe she's the savior, you know, that kind of thing. Um, except it's so bleak. So in this world, um, it's post-nuclear apocalypse. So the world has been essentially destroyed by, you know, atom bombs. Um, and so she... The girl's name is Prescia, and she is just trying to survive. She lives with, I think, her grandfather um, and is trying to avoid the kind of mutant monsters that the radiation from all of these bombs going off created. Um, she's trying to find food. They're, uh, almost everyone who survived the blast has been fused with like whatever object they were around um, when the blast went off. So she was a child when the detonations went off, so she has a, a doll, like a doll for a hand. Uh, but a lot of people have it a lot worse. Some of them fused to buildings and like are still alive but can't get out of the building. So it's got a lot of like kind of horrifying elements to it. Um, and so she lives on the outskirts, you know, just out in the world doing her thing. And then the other main 
character whose name I can't remember, but I think it's Partridge, lives in what's called the Dome, which is where all of the wealthy people built this dome over a city to protect themselves from the coming nuclear war um, so that they could survive, basically. And they are living inside of the dome. Um, None of them are fused, so they're called the Pures because they they still look like pure human beings. Uh, And they kind of run the government. And occasionally they drop messages outside the dome to people in the form of notes that are like, we're looking for cures or whatever. Um, And so obviously something sketchy is going on there. So Partridge, in order to solve a mystery about his family, leaves the dome and goes off out into the wild to try and figure out like what happened to his mother before um, he was old enough to remember. Um, And then Prescia gets kind of caught up in his weird uh, search for like the truth. Um, So it has very few, there's like a hint of some romance in it, but it's mostly just about like this girl trying not to die. Like it's super bleak, very page turning, um, like I couldn't, I don't know, I couldn't put it down, but it's it's a hard read and it's not it's not YA, <laughs> in my personal opinion. Like it shelved as YA a lot in Goodreads, but I don't I don't agree with that at all. So that's Pure by Juliana Baggett. All right, my second pick is fiction, uh, and it like Amanda was saying, it's it's got some things in common with YA, and that part of the narrative takes place when the two main characters are teenagers. So it's like there's your nice in, um, but it's definitely like a story about grownups. Uh, so it is Bone and Bread, bread is in like the thing you eat, um, by Salima Nawaz. This is actually the first book I read. I finished in 2017. Um, I picked it up kind of at random in the library, and I love it. So it's about these two sisters, Bina and Sadana, I believe is the way you say that, um, who are really close, partly because they just, like, they grew up that way, but also because they lost both their parents. Um, They lost their father when they were very young, and then their mother died when they were teenagers. And so they have been obviously, like, you know, sort of glued together, but also very changed by those experiences. Um... And the story kind of picks up and then flashes back to when uh, they are in their 30s and then Sadana dies suddenly. Um, She had been struggling since she was a teenager, um, like after their mother's death with anorexia. And so, like, it's it appears that, you know, her heart, which had been damaged by her long struggle with this illness, had just given out. Um, And Bina has been, like not dealing with this at all. In the meantime, she's got a teenage son. Um, She's a single mom with a teenage son, and he was very close with his aunt, so there's that, like, element going on. Um, And it's her thinking back on, like, their relationship as children, as teenagers, as young adults, and, like, how they got to where they are now, or, like, lack thereof, because the last thing, the last conversation they had was a fight. Um, And so there's a lot of, like, really complicated emotional stuff in here that I think Nawaz handles so well. Like, it's about sisterhood. It's about motherhood. Um, it's a really beautiful look at these. They It takes place in Montreal and Ottawa. Um, and, like, those are not places I'm super familiar with. Uh, it was actually a Canada Reads pick, I guess. Um, and so I just really enjoyed everything about it. I thought the voice was amazing. I really, I loved it. Um, and so, like, it has that same, like, contemporary, like, issues-based YA story feel to it. But it's, like, um, it goes beyond that into the adulthood of these characters. So that is Bone and Bread by Salima Nawaz. Okay, my last one for this is Mongrels by Steve... Stefan? I think it's Stephen. Okay, Stephen Graham Jones. Um, And this also, it's a coming-of-age story about a boy whose name you never know, um, who is, he's growing up in, like, a poor family. He's kind of, he's an orphan. He lives with his grandfather, his aunt, and his uncle. 
um, on kind of the like edge of society. They're a mixed race family. Um, they're in poverty. So there's a lot of reasons why they like don't have a lot of friends. Uh, and then his grandfather dies and something terrible happens to uncle Darren that involves a police officer. So they start like they're on the run. They hit the road and they travel for like a decade, um, all across the American South, trying to stay one step ahead of the cops. And also at the same time, just trying to survive and he, you know, send this kid to school and like raise him. Right. Sub point, they're all werewolves. <laughs> um, and so he, as a kid, he knows this about his family. Like, he knows that his aunt and uncle um, are werewolves. And he is kind of just waiting for that to happen to him because it's, it's like a thing that happens when you are when you hit puberty. And then he hits puberty and beyond, and it just never comes. Like, he never, he never changes. Um, and so he doesn't even fit in. Like, he's such a misfit. He fits in nowhere in society, but he doesn't even fit in with these two people who are his family because this is a thing that, like, just is not happening for him. Um, and so you're watching him, like, struggle with the pain of that, of not fitting in anywhere, which is a coming-of-age, you know, thing that a lot of us can relate to. Um, but, like, come for the coming-of-age story, but, like, stay for the weird werewolf stuff, like, why werewolves can't never wear pantyhose and why werewolves should never eat french fries um, and, like, why they always have to pee right before they change into werewolves. And, like, just this weird, I don't know, uh, Stephen Graham Jones' brain and, like, this mythology and the rules he's created for werewolf lore, I guess, are so strange. And, like, the, the details that he's thought of, of what life as as a person who changes into a dog must be like are just, oh, man, I don't even know. Like, how do you sit down and brainstorm that sort of thing? Like, today I put on shoes. How would this process be if I had paws <laughs> instead of hands? You know, like, what would this, how would my day go? Uh, not well is is the story. Um, but in the same way that Pure is about a teenager but is actually, like, a super, like, kind of partial horror novel, this is the same thing. It's about a teenager, but in reality it's kind of a horror paranormal fantasy novel that I really loved. It was one of the, my favorite books that I read last year. So that's Mongrels by Stephen Graham Jones. Is that and it? That's, that's it. it. We did it. We did it. <laughs> Every time we do this in under an hour, I'm like so impressed by it. We did it. <laughs> so that's our show. Please go rate us on iTunes and leave a review. You can find us on social media. I'm at I'm Amanda Nelson. Jen is at Jen IRL. Jen with two N's. And thank you so much to our sponsors for sponsoring the show. We will talk to you all next week. Bye.